Good morning. Welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today we get into one of the main, if not the main subject of application under the theme of stewardship, and that's the subject of money. We won't be addressing the nuts and bolts of the details of budgeting and tithing or cheerful giving, but instead, we're going to begin today by building a foundation of examining the controlling influence that money and riches have, and how, without even realizing it, you and I can become enslaved to money as an idol and master. Thanks for joining us today as we pursue freedom found in the provision of Jesus Christ. While Emily and I lived um, in the Caribbean as missionaries, uh, we had a few friends who every Halloween we would dress up our kids and we would go over to this neighboring island and the entire community would gather together and go door to door. And it was, it was completely a community event. Um, and I remember when, you're, when your son is young um, and brings home pillowcases full of candy, uh, you don't just let him eat it all, right? Because that would be foolish as a parent. So in digging through all that he got, we found something that we thought would be suitable for this two-year-old who wanted it all. Um, it was one of those little popcorn balls. You guys know the ones I'm talking about? Do they still have those? I remember those as being a kid. Like styrofoam, you know the ones I'm talking about? We thought, you know, of all the candy he could have, we'll give him that one. And as soon as that high fructose corn syrup touched his lips, his eyes turned like saucers. And it seemed like he might have had enough. And so I remember, very young age, taking away his popcorn ball. And out of these little lips of my two-year-old were, that's mine! Mine! Isn't it amazing how quickly children learn what's theirs? Good thing that's just a problem with kids, right? That doesn't happen to any of us. We, we live as those who have that false impression of the things that we own actually being ours. When in fact, truly everything belongs to God. Not simply your possessions, even that'll be a focus for our study this morning. Your very lives belong to God. And so in this series of stewardship, we are not going to enter into what was the predominant reason why this question was offered back when we had our I Was Wondering series, and it was a question around money. The problem is, for so many of us, we all live as though that number in the bank account belongs to who? Say it with me. It's, it's mine. I love this quote from Abraham Kuyper. He says, There is not a square inch of the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Ah, it's mine. The world belongs to Jesus. All that you think you possess belong to Jesus. In fact, you yourself belong to Jesus. And so in our study, we're going to look here to this subject of, of money for this morning. And as I was putting it together, it occurs to me, this is one of those kinds of sermons where people can end up hearing things that I don't say. So this is my appeal to you. Listen carefully. If you ever listen to a message from a preacher on money, I guarantee you every single preacher begins by telling the congregation that when they read the Gospels, Jesus spoke more about money in his parables than any other subject. Do you know why preachers do that? Because they feel like there's a little bit of heat that's coming from the church when you start meddling with money. 
And so they want to bring somehow this idea of validating that, well, as a minister of God's word, I have, I have legitimacy to bring instruction about money. Let me ask you the question. How many verses in the New Testament would it take to give validation and legitimacy to preach on money? How many verses? That's right. Just one. It may be true that money is more talked about in the New Testament than any other subject besides hell. That's a sermon for another day, but that's no, legitimiza- that's no necessary legitimization to bring instruction over to how you and I process our love or hopefully utilization of money. And so please be careful that you hear what I do say, that you do hear what God's word says, and don't let whatever vice exists twist things around to bring any justification apart from what God's word would teach us this morning. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 19, but before we do, and you're welcome to turn there, but before we work through a story of Jesus's encounter with a very wealthy individual, uh, we need to begin with some high-level preliminaries regarding the subject of money in the scriptures. The first is this. When God speaks about money, he also includes possessions. So don't think that if we're just talking about money here, we're talking about what you could write a check for. Uh, this includes everything. Uh, the overarching term that's used in the Bible is called riches. Um, so riches can include far more than just what is a liquid asset that you could take from the bank tomorrow. Uh, it includes all of your possessions. And so this is a critical understanding. Yeah, riches, um, money, it's more than just cash. Secondly, money isn't the problem. You might have already been prepared for this. Uh, what is the problem? It's the love of money. And as soon as we add in there the posture of our hearts in regards to the agency of money, you and I have now introduced an idol. So, really, this is going to be a subject of idolatry. And you need to know that you could be dirt poor and still have a love of money. Now, we're going to talk about how problematic this is. For those who do have that love because of what they pursue. Paul tells Timothy this in the New Testament. He says, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap. I just want to make a point here of notice. It does not say those who want to get rich might fall into temptation and a trap. It doesn't say that you could possibly fall. It says you're in it. You're already in the trap. If getting rich is the whole endeavor of your occupation for time, use, and energy of stewardship of this life, you've already succumbed to temptation. You are already caught in the trap. And here's the result of that. Many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men and women into ruin and into destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. This is exactly what we're going to discover this morning. there's There's a little bit of a better term for that. Love of money. You, you might write somewhere in the margin, you know the term already, it's called greed. Greed. That's the word to refer to this love of money. And here we're able to see that the problem isn't money itself. The problem is when money becomes an idol. And that manifests as the sin of greed, as the scriptures teach us here, is the root of all kinds of evil. Thirdly, Very similarly to the verse that we just read, money is a crafty master. 
the end of that verse said that many people eager for money have wandered from the faith and so have pierced themselves with many griefs. Anybody inviting grief into their life? No? No, no one's asking for grief? Good. I doubt anybody would invite more grief into your life. But if you're pursuing a love of money, that's exactly what you're doing. And as a very subtle master, a love of money will enslave you to a false idol. And you won't even realize that it's happened. In fact, one of the very first places that we see this was the scripture that Phil read for us out of Genesis. I'm thankful that as we're studying stewardship, you don't have to look very far than the very first pages of the entire scripture. Because everything in regards to how a human is to order their lives is offered to you in the very first pages. And here, we heard the story this morning about Cain. Adam and Eve lay together. They they give birth to a son. Um, Eve declares, by God's help, I've brought forth a son. And so she names Cain, brought forth. (laughs) That's that's the, the root of the verb, to bring forth, is what she named her kid. In fact, the name Cain literally means to acquire more, to get more. Mine. (laughs) Uh, Her second kid, Abel, is the Hebrew word for vanity. So it must have been a hard go with Cain that you name your second kid vanity. There's probably more of a story if we could ever ask Eve for what went on there. But um, the story of Cain starts with a posture of greed a sin in his heart like some sort of evil hide and seek that then brought out all other kinds of sin and evil because money became his master he did not like Abel bring the best of what he had he was greedy for him for what he wanted for himself And don't think that I'm bringing some accusation against Cain that doesn't exist in the scriptures. In fact, we have this verse from Jude. Jude giving a warning to false teachers. Teachers who are, they're like the prosperity preachers we have today. You guys know who I'm talking about, right? The kind of ministers who think that godliness is a way of becoming rich and that all God wants to do is bless you with more and more and more money. That was the same message that was happening back in Jude's day. And in reference to those false teachers, look what Jude says. He says, woe to them, for they have walked in the way of Cain. And they've abandoned themselves for the sake of gain. Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. Cain, by virtue of what we see in Genesis, having been confirmed here in the New Testament, started out with this tiny little subtle form of slavery. The master of idolatry called money. And you saw what happened, right? Greed showed up, and so he didn't bring God his best. God approved of Abel's offering. And then what happened in Cain's heart? Do you remember? He became what? Angry. Angry. He became angry. And pretty soon that anger led to looking at his younger brother. And what second sin began to come in his heart? Envy and jealousy. And a hatred Towards Abel. When that sin became full grown, what did it result in? The, the death of Abel. And then we kept reading. What then happened to Cain? Well, it was the judgment of the wrath of God because of the sin. Do you see what happened? The love of money? Jeez, I didn't know it was that bad. It's the root of all evil, church. It's the source of it all. 
And you can see how it unfolds and soon spirals into a place that you never thought you'd be. All because money is a crafty master. It can catch you without even realizing that you're in a trap. And so let's see that story this morning. I invite you to turn with me to Matthew 19. I want you to see for how these few characteristics become amplified in the story that Matthew records for us with a very rich young man. So this is Matthew chapter 19. We're going to start in verse 16, uh, right through the end of the chapter. We will be characterizing our study of this passage, looking at it through the lens of stewardship. Because I want you to know, man, you could preach this passage many different ways. But we have a specific uh, theme that we're going to be paying attention to, to see what God's word has to say in regards to the subtleness of uh, money's enslavement of us. So Matthew chapter 19, starting in verse 15, Matthew record, or 16, Matthew records. Now a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There's only one who is good. If you want to enter eternal life, obey the commandments. Which ones? The man replied. Jesus said, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, all these I've kept, the young man said. What still then do I lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions And give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and they asked, well, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and they said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, All things are possible. Peter answered him, we've left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. At the renewal of all things, when the son of man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and many who are last 
will be first. Wow, what a, what a doozy, right? There is a lot for us to look at in here. I have a few observations specifically, again, through the lens of stewardship I'd like to offer to you this morning. The first is this. Understand that the idol of money will devastate you. That's its result. What is the end goal of serving that false god? It ain't joy and happiness, even though that's what it's going to pledge to you at the front end. Right? Chase after money because, boy, money can buy anything except what? Happiness. Thinks it can. Offers though it can. Understand the idol of money. You put money first, as a first love in your life, it will leave you devastated. Emily and I try to make sure that we're good stewards of the funds that have been entrusted to us. And so in one of those cases, uh, we have tried to open up a retirement savings. Um, Generally speaking, the profession of ministry does not have high flutin retirement funds. So we're working on this on our own. Um, And our investment uh, uh, firm is so kind to send me a letter every month showing me how much money we're losing every (laughs) month. Anybody else with me? Any amens from folks on this? Don't you love getting those envelopes? Right? And I just think, maybe it'll change next month. I open it up. How are you doing? What is happening here? How devastating it would be if all of my hopes and joys were involved in that. Did did you see what happened in the text? Right? This young man had been deceived because the idol of money is so subtle. The, the, the mastery of it to enslave you, it's so, so subtle. He didn't even realize it. He thought he was righteous until God, uh, Jesus says to him, you know, sell all you have, give it to the poor. And then he went away, how? Yeah, you can write in the margin, devastated. This man is devastated. Can't even follow Jesus. Why? Because that is exactly what the idol of money will do to you. <laughs> Secondly, the idol of money is enslaving. So finish out that sentence. He went away sad. Why? What's the text say? Because he had, help me out, great what? Wealth. He went away sad because he had great wealth. There it is. That's that's the whole thing right there. That was the hook that had itself embedded in the heart and the flesh of this young man. It was the enslavement of money. I, I wanted us to see how this is true in principle. And so the second verse that Phil read for us this morning came from 2 Peter 2.19. Again, the exact same people referenced by Jude, those prosperity preachers, what do they do? They promise freedom. This is an indictment by Peter against this type of false teaching while they themselves are slaves of depravity. And here's the principle. For people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. Oh, this was, this was a tough moment in my own life. Um, I didn't think I was greedy. I didn't think I was until I saw people who had less than me. And do you know what the Spirit of God will do for your heart when you encounter people who have less than you? Thankfully, beyond my own ability, the Spirit of God will produce within me compassion. Anyone else like that? If you, if you saw somebody who was really in need and you had enough food in your cupboard and you had your needs met, do you know what the Spirit of God would make happen in your heart? You would feel compassion for them. But I couldn't give them any of my money because then what would happen to me? Then I might go hungry. 
I didn't realize that now I have this, this quandary between who am I going to follow? Because money's there with its leash around me saying, you, you can't give it. It's mine. You can't give it away. And the Spirit of God's working in me saying, like Penny reminded us, I'm going to provide for you. Wherever I lead, I will provide for you. And if I'm leading you here to help with this one who has less than you, don't you think I'll provide for you? So which master am I going to serve? Jesus knows that this is the quintessential problem in any world that's dealing with greed. That's our world. Look at what he says in Matthew chapter 6. No one can serve two masters. Good luck with that. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And so it's a very subtle, subtle enslavement. I love this quote explained by Sky Jahani uh, in one of his recent books, What If Jesus Was Serious? Uh, this was a book recommended to me by my, um, my sister's uh, brother, my brother-in-law. Listen to what Sky says here. Money is an alluring master precisely because it provides the feeling and illusion of divine power. With money, we can control the world and conform it to our will. It allows us to provide for our needs and desires, overcome scarcity, manipulate the things around us. Wealth can isolate us from challenges that others face. Money can create opportunities for those who possess it that are unavailable for those without it. In other words, it is a very appealing alternative to God. How true is that? Make sure that we don't get past this. Because the entire scope of our study this morning is not called enslavement. It's called freedom. That's what we're going to see, hopefully, as we work our way to the end of it. But it starts by understanding these two unique characteristics highlighted for us in verse 22. When the young man heard this, he went away devastated because he was enslaved by great wealth. Okay, everybody with me so far? Ready for number three? This is a lot of fun this morning, isn't it? Okay, here we go. Number three, the idol of money is fleeting. If you notice, Jesus says in verse 21, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in where? Heaven. How, how, how do those treasures uh, last in heaven? How are they doing? Are they running out? Moth, thieves, bad weather? Taking, not a single thing can take away a treasure in heaven. This is what Jesus says to us. Store up treasure in heaven. For wherever your treasure is, there your heart tends to be as well. I know my mom taught me this when I was very young. Uh, in regards to possessions, I'm very thankful for getting this perspective when I was young. She would say, it's all going to burn. <laughs> if I ever sound blunt as a pastor, you know who to blame. Because that, that's what I was taught. It's true, right, mom? Everything. Think of this. This will keep you up at night. Listen, every dollar you've ever earned, you will lose. Yikes. That's some hard truth right now. That is absolutely correct. Every possession, every form of riches on this earth, you will have to say goodbye to someday. Here, here's where the New Testament, Tom's already leading me ahead on this. If he, Ecclesiastes 5.15. Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and as everyone comes, so they depart. 
They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands, repeated in the New Testament. The passage close at hand we looked at earlier, 1 Timothy 6, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. And therefore, what does the idol of money offer to us? Temporary, fleeting, promised, lasting satisfaction, never delivering on it. Every dollar that you earn, you will ultimately lose. Number four, the idol of money will prevent you from following Jesus. Uh, This is almost the most obvious result of this story included in Matthew's gospel. That when when this young man came seeking eternal life, i.e., therefore, following Jesus as Lord, could he do it? Did he do it? No. No, he went away sad. He's handcuffed to his possessions and therefore has been incapable. He's been prevented from following Jesus. I think of Zacchaeus. As an example of this, remember Zacchaeus, right? Story of him, short little guy. I heard about Jesus, climbed up in the tree. Not a follower of Jesus for the same reason. You remember Zacchaeus, tax collector, had more money than he should have had, was really cheating his countrymen away from money because that's what you do when you have a lot of money. Until Jesus came and met him. And you know the rest of the story, right? It was him uncoupling the enslavement to the chain of money that freed Zacchaeus to follow Jesus. I want, you know, I want you to know the same is true for you. I think that this is probably not a big problem right here, but there are churches across our country where Christians are being deceived into thinking money is an equal taskmaster with following Jesus when the two are on opposite ends of the spectrum. You can't obey two masters. These passages from Matthew chapter 13, Jesus said that the seed falling among the thorns refers to somebody who hears the word. I want to follow Jesus. I hear it. But the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke out the word. Same passage that's uh, referenced in the synoptic. Here's another one that's more direct with following Jesus. Uh, Jesus said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go bury my father. Now, on first glance, you and I will look at that and be like, yeah, right? Because that's what a son should do, right? You should take care of your family. Is that what this guy meant? Understand, it is not. This is not an appeal to say, Jesus, I really like you. I'd love to follow you, but my duty is to really honor my father and mother. That's not what he means. Why does he want to bury his father? Because he knows when dad dies, I inherit everything. We know that that's the right interpretation because what's Jesus' response? Let the dead bury the dead, but you go proclaim the kingdom of God. Church, I don't think there's any way around this. That there's no way that you and I are able to follow the idol of money and at the same time follow Jesus. So where and however the love of money is manifest in your checking accounts, in your property investments, in the possessions of your home, that is the very thing that will come in conflict with the leading of God when he says, hey, what if you gave a little bit more to these folks? And you're going to be just like me finding, I don't know who to to follow now. Because if I give away what I have, I won't have enough. 
Now, I know there's some people, even as I look around in here, where you're a very, very giving church. And I know you've already discovered the secret that you can't outgive God. Any amens on that? Amen. Yeah, I know that being the case because I've heard your testimonies with this. And that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Nevertheless, how subtly and craftily money can fool us and trick us. We need to make sure that in our discipleship, we're paying attention to this. Okay, two more. The idol of money will leave you with the impossibility of your own ability. If you look with me back into the text once more, do you recall what it was that this young man originally asked of Jesus? Do you remember? He asked, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? So this guy's already got it wrong from get-go. He thinks that salvation is something that is a capability within himself. Jesus, all he does is highlight how that's exactly the opposite of reality. That it's impossible for you. In fact, I love how the disciples get it. Right? Jesus helps them with a metaphor. He says, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom. In fact, it's easier for this giant animal, a camel, to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Just because I know that you're reading Christians, you may have heard somewhere in the past, either a preacher or a commentary, say that the eye of a needle is this little doorway in one of the gates of Jerusalem. That's not what Jesus meant at all. It has good preachability to it because the only way you got through the door was by taking off all the accoutrements of the camel and being humble and crouching down and getting low. And that's how you got through this door called the eye of the needle. The problem is they never had that door and they didn't call it that until a thousand years after Jesus said this. And there was during this time a a Persian saying that it's um, uh, to to make a comparison. They said it's hard to get an elephant through the eye of a needle. So Jesus was aware of this cultural saying. Do you know what he means here? He's trying to get you to understand not that it's hard, not that you got to get humble. Jesus's point is it's what? It's impossible. (laughs) I mean, unless you cut up the camel and put it in a blender and drip it. I, mean, I don't know. Like, how, how are you, how would you do it? It's impossible. There's no way to get a camel through the eye of a needle. Understand that's exactly what the disciples concluded from Jesus's example. Look with me again right here. The disciples, verse 25, when they heard this, they asked, who then can be saved? Who could be saved? That, that was Jesus' whole, whole point. He clarifies it for us with the good news. You ready for some good news? Verse 26. With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Here's what this means. Let me give you a little bit more good news. Here's what this means for you and I. There is no effort of your own that can please God. You can try. You're welcome to give it a shot. I guarantee you at some level, the Holy Spirit of God will reveal to you you've missed the mark. And Jesus does this with the rich young ruler. Do you remember his answer? Yeah, remember the commandments aren't bad. The law that God gives is righteous. It is perfect. It actually could produce righteousness. Romans chapter 8 teaches us the reason the law doesn't work on us is because we have sinned. The, The power of righteousness in the law is weakened because you have the sin disease. And so it doesn't work with you. And yet that was Jesus's answer. Go with me back. Look, verse 17. You want to enter eternal life? Jesus says, obey the commandments. Which ones, he asks. And then notice this. If you look at the moral law, if you look at the Ten Commandments, you've got ten of them, and they fall into two categories. 
They fall into the first category of love and worship to honor God, and a second category to love your neighbor as yourself. So commandments one, two, three, and four all hold God as the subject. You shall have no other gods. Um, do not use the Lord's name in vain. Do not make a graven image. Remember the Lord's name and keep it holy. All four of those are in reference to the number one master in your life. Did Jesus mention those? Look again in the text. Which, which ones of the Ten Commandments did Jesus list out? He's got, he's got five, six, seven, eight, nine, and ten. He's got all the other ones. He skipped the first four. And you'll notice the wisdom of our Lord here in having this man think, ha ha, I've done all these. I've done them all. Because he had a very subtle, crafty master who was hidden, an idol above God that broke the first four without even having to mention them. And it was his possessions. And so you and I, without Jesus, having done for you what you and I could not do on our own, we as well are left with the impossibility of salvation. Eternal life for you and I is like jumping to the moon. Now, who can jump highest in here? Probably Derek. I'd put my money on Derek. <laughs> not with the back. Okay, not today. Um, uh, I, can, I can, Micah, you want to go? Who, who, who could jump high? Do you know what we do? We'll compare ourselves with one another, right? That's what we'll do, but which of us is getting to the moon? No, we might think that our ability is better than the person across from us, but your ability will always, always fall short of the perfection of Jesus Christ, which is why you need a savior. And that's what Jesus was helping this young man see, that if you're left on your own by following money, it's impossible. It's impossible. You're following the wrong master. All right, number six, the idol of money. This is a good one. The idol of money is eclipsed. Can't even see it. It completely disappears when we see the generosity and the benevolence of Jesus. And so look with me once more towards the end of our story. Poor Peter, he's like, we're following you. So that must prove in Peter's discipleship of Jesus, money's not my master, you're my master. Peter says, we left everything. For you. So what's, what's that leave us with? Again, I love Jesus' patience with Peter, right? But look at Jesus' answer because this is some good news for us as well. That at the resurrection, Jesus calls it here, Matthew records, the renewal of all things. At the resurrection, the Son of Man sitting on his glorious throne also is going to bring that prestige upon those who know and follow him. Because, not because you guys are and I am anything special, but because we are seen in Christ. And then what does the result of glory look like with the benevolence and kindness of God? Look in verse 29. Everyone who has left houses and brothers and sisters and father and mother or children and fields for my sake will not fail to receive a hundred times as much. And what? You can't miss that one, Don, right? Say it good and loud. Eternal life. Eternal life. You... Find me a better deal out there, Donald Trump. Find me a better deal. There's, there's nothing that could be offered to you better than that. Jesus says elsewhere, anyone who wants to save his life will ultimately what? Help me out. You're going to lose it. 
But whoever gives up his life, his possessions, his riches, the slavery of the idolatry of money, you give that up for me, you'll save your life. And here, so much, so much more. That's some good news this morning. So church, how, how do you and I, as we look at this text, how do we bring this into our lives to show um, a response of obedience to put this idol to death? And I, I, hope, I hope you're able to identify where it shows up in your life. I'm not naive enough to know that I'm not immune to it. We live in crazy world, right? We, we live in a land that's always trying to form our thinking around getting more of mine. So how are we going to change this? I want to offer to you three ways. Number one, put God first. I'm just going to call upon Jesus' words again in verse 29. He says, everyone who has left houses. So what's that mean for that person? Who's first, Jesus or the house? Jesus. Everyone who has left brothers or sisters. Who's first, brothers or sisters or Jesus? Jesus. Anyone who's left father and mother. Who's first, mother and father or Jesus? At every stage, the, the benevolence of God in his kindness to recognize what is offered in eternal life is seen when you put God first. And so I wonder, I wonder what you would be willing to put second in your life to Jesus. Or I wonder what might challenge the kingship of Jesus in your life. That if God asked you to set it aside, could you do it? It's kind of a fruitless question, isn't it? Because that's not going to happen to any of us. Like, I, I guarantee you, at no point in your life is God going to show up and say, hey, give this up and follow me. That's not going to happen. You're going to have to be a little bit more disciplined because your life is pretty good. <laughs> I... I frankly, sometimes, I'm a little off notes here on this one, but sometimes when I watch the news, I think maybe that day's coming. You guys with me there? Anyone watch? Don't watch the news. But if you do watch the news, it really feels like maybe the day of uh, governmental control to say, look, it's either your life or Jesus. That might come someday. I probably think it won't. And so don't wait for that question to show up to make the decision as to what, whether you put God first. Put him first now. Because the real situation here is a question of honor. I want, us to, I want us to just take a little glance back into Genesis again before we move to our next one. Do you remember Cain? Remember the situation? If, if, you, flip in your, if you hold your spot here in Matthew, we're going to reference one other passage in the gospel. But if I look back at Genesis chapter 4, how are those, those first five observations of the idolatry of money present in Cain's life? Let's just examine that real quickly. So the first one was, right, money will devastate you. Well, if I'm in Genesis 4, do you remember what happened? God, God comes to Cain and says, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? What's a better term for that? He's devastated, right? Yeah, Cain was devastated. because He had idolatry of money. Or how about the second one, the enslavement of it? Look at verse 7. If you do what's right, you won't you be accepted. But if you don't do what's right, sin is crouching at your door. Here's an important Hebrew verb. Its desire is for you, meaning it desires to control you. Sin desires to be your master. 
But you, you must rule over it, God says to him. How about, the, how about the fleeting nature of the idolatry of money? Look in verse 12. Here's part of the curse. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield crops for you. So how about all that effort? How about all that money in the bank? Where did it all go? It's fleeting. It's gone. How about the, remember the observation that um, it causes you to be unable to follow Jesus? Well, look in verse 5. Uh, here we have Cain um, and his offering. God did not look with favor. There was displeasure from God upon Cain's offering. Why? Originally because of greed. You can additionally look in verse 16. We didn't cover this in our reading today, but it says Cain went out from the Lord's presence. That's what the idolatry of money will do to you. You won't be walking with Jesus. You won't be walking with our Lord. You won't be able to follow him. And neither was Cain. Just one more for you to see here. Cain's response. Remember the fifth observation? It's up to you now. It's up to you. Your ability. How's that, how's that going to work out for you? What did Cain do? As soon as that was put into his hands, what did Cain do with his hands for his brother? Led immediately to death. It's impossible. It's impossible to please God through this. Abel, however, acted differently. And so here's our first challenge. When it comes to your money, when it comes to your possessions, when it comes to your riches, put God first. Secondly, pursue utility on earth for treasure in heaven. I'm back in Matthew 19 again. Do you remember what Jesus said to him? If you want to be perfect, go sell what? Sell your possessions and give it to who? Go give it to the poor. There's there's another place that shows up really well for this uh, understanding of utility. Hold your spot here and turn with me to Luke 16. We're wrapping up right here, folks. If you got your Bible still, Luke chapter 16, Jesus tells a parable. The heading of my Bible is called a shrewd manager. I want to just get through a little bit of it because I want you to see the nugget that comes at the end. How, How should I use my money right now, Pastor? What should I do with the resources I've got right now? Well, take a look. Luke 16, Jesus told, verse 1, Jesus told the disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accursed of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what's this I hear about you? Give an account for your management because you can't be my manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? So here's the person who has been entrusted with someone else's belongings. They don't belong to you, right? They belong to God. And they have not been using it well. I don't know if that's you this morning. It might be. Maybe this is like in your life. Yeah, I'm not sure that I have dedicated to God first all of the riches that I have. Well, here's the answer. Watch what happens. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master's taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do. When I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their homes. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked him first, how much do you owe? 800 gallons of olive oil, he said. The master told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, make it 400. Then he took a second. How much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he said. Take your bill, make it 800. The master, oh, this, by the way, Probably bad business, right? <laughs> Jesus isn't highlighting this as like, do this exact thing. Jesus is saying, look at this wicked person and see what they do. 
Like, even if the wicked people know how to try to fix their mistakes, you, you can do better than them. So look at the rest of the parable. He says in verse 8, the master commanded the dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than the people of light. I tell you now, church, he's speaking to you now. You ready? Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. There's another way of saying this. We've heard it already. Store up your treasure where? Store up your treasure in heaven. That's, a, that's exactly what that parable is intended for you and I to understand. And if you've made bad decisions thus far, time to get serious with it. Because everything you have here is going to be gone someday. Everything that you possess now, you're going to have to give away to someone else. And so use it while you still have it. How cool is that? You, we, we have resources right now. That we can use. And if you and I are going to be good stewards of money, if we're going to keep riches from becoming our idol, well, this is key. Pursue utility of those resources right now on earth. Use it for God's kingdom. And in so doing, you will be storing up treasure in heaven. Lastly, give your money away as an act of faith. And then you're going to be free. From its idolatrous control. I think perhaps the best hallmark to ask, where is my heart on this? Is to say, could I give it away? And we're going to talk about, because we're going to continue with stewardship. We're going to look at money again in a couple of weeks. But some people still want control over that money even when they give it away. Jesus is going to tell us that's not how you're to give. I'll cover it in more depth. But quickly, he says, don't let your right hand Know what your left hand is doing. Meaning that when you give it away, you give it to God. And you trust it to God without claiming any little control over its mastery in your life. And if that is something that you can't do, I just, I can't give away money. I want to submit to you, you may be enslaved by its control. And the very best way to break those chains is to say, I'm going to give it away. Do you know who who showed us this first of all? It's back in Genesis. Now, we don't know this until we get to the writer of Hebrews, but I share with you this passage. Hebrews 11, the the hall of faith for what it looks like to follow Jesus. Look at this, verse 4. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he's dead. Abel, when he gave, if you look back in Genesis, you'll notice he gave of the first fruits. Did you notice that of his flock? And he gave of the fat ones. Now, there's, ask me that in a Bible study sometime because I got some questions about that. Like, what are they doing with fat? They weren't commanded to eat animals yet. Uh, some translations just say that it was the, the fat, fattest sheep. Brr, the fat ones. Here's the point. When Abel came to present an offering to God, he didn't give out of the leftovers. He gave from the very first. And he didn't give of the skinny, little, weak, sick sheep. He found the fat ones. He gave the best and he gave the first. And more than anything, please hear me. He gave by faith. That will break the chain of the slavery 
of the idolatry of money in your life. And you will have freedom. Amen? Amen. Will you pray with me today?